Fandom University. Every other week, we deep dive into the topics we love and obsess over. Comics, novels, movies, sci-fi, and video games receive the elevated discourse they deserve. With your overworked TAs, Sean and Sergio. Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of Fandom University. My name is Sergio. Mine is Sean. And we are going to continue uh, the Scream arc, the Scream course, the Scream curriculum, the Scream module. And we uh, this episode we'll be talking about Scream 4, the, the sequel we didn't think we were going to get um, after you know, Scream 3 performed um, just about as well at the box office as you know the as you know its previous uh, installment, Scream Two, but it wasn't as well, nearly as well received critically um, by like by critics or by audiences, um, at least in, at least at that time, the time it came out. And so it was a good um, little over a decade before Scream Four came out. And so we'll be discussing that between ourselves, between Sean and myself. Uh, and then we're going to discuss the brand new one, the brand spanking, spanking. new Scream movie, uh, which is just titled Scream, but colloquially known as Scream 5, uh, with a good friend of ours, Gory Corey, teen uh, horror blogger, correspondent for Fangoria, uh, a lot smarter than uh, than uh, we were at that age. We were, we were stupid. We thought- Just a couple of- idiots we thought donnie darko was like the best movie of all time at that <laughs> age which is fine you know donnie darko is a fine movie the direct the director's cut is hot garbage it does kind of ruin everything it ruins the everything i mean the entire the what made donnie darko so much fun is that it didn't explain everything and so that's you know it's we, it, it it almost um you know it elicited Conversation. conversation between people who had seen it and and discussion and the debates uh we spent debates. hours yeah we spent hours trying to figure out what the hell was going on in donnie darko and rushed out just we we actually went to dallas which was a bit of a hike for us uh arlingtonites to With- see the director's cut in the theater when it came out we were so excited and we walked out and we were not we weren't angry we were just kind of dejected yeah a little bit a little bit but anyways all that to say is like uh um i have hope gory Corey is much smarter than yeah i have have hope for um for this for this generation if our if our guest this week is any indication um so yeah so let's go ahead and talk about scream four uh it um, it presents itself in the like the meta meta textual sense as sort of a uh, reboot of sorts. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're back in Woodsboro. Uh, you know, the 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 big three are back. We've got our Sydney, we've got our Gale, we've got our Dewey. Um, Sydney is uh, has written a book. She sort of, um, you know, whereas in Scream Three, she like had, you know, uh, sort of sequestered herself away, like sort of just hid away from the world. Um, in Scream Four, it seems like she's sort of like changed that narrative, and and empowered herself. Like she writes a book; she's on a book tour about her experience. Uh, Dwight and uh, Gail are married. Dewey's now the sheriff of Woodsboro, 
they're living a quiet, idyllic life when, uh, of course, you know, a unsuspecting teenager gets a phone call uh, while she's home alone. I I wanted to talk about, um, speaking of metatextual, the opening of Scream 4 is a lot of fun. It's great. We We see the opening and then we realize that Oh, it's the opening to Stab Six, which is like the in-universe movies about the the events that happen. Right, and then it turns out that that, like, there's a, it's like a, it's it's like a Russian, it's like a Russian nesting doll. Yes, exactly. Um, or the joke in a cartoon when a character wakes up from a dream into another dream into another dream, where right. we just have a series of false openings that plays with the, um with the yeah with the with the with the trope in a really fun way um and to me i this was the first time i'd seen scream four that's you know after scream three i was like (laughs) enough and uh based on the box office performance of scream four i would say that probably a lot of people felt the same because like worldwide it did about half the business of its original and that's a taking 11 years of inflation into account um which is a bummer because it's good. And I wish that I had gone to see it in the theater now because like as soon as the that chain of opening starts, I felt like I was back in confident hands the way I felt in Scream 1 and 2. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, everything, seemingly everything about it screams cash grab. You know, it's a decade later, you know, it's the same cast, uh, it just seems like, you know, they're kind of like um, depending on nostalgia to get by, um, which a lot of people like didn't buy into because, like you said, the gross is nearly half of the, its predecessors. But yeah, Scream 4, um, you know, up until I saw the most recent movie, I'd say uh, Scream 4 is probably my third favorite. And it's I think it's just about on par with Scream 2 as far as quality goes. I like I like Scream 2 a little bit better, but it definitely um, for me at least course corrects and and helps be, helps uh, establish the Scream as one of the most consistent horror franchises. I mean, we're now you know five movies in, and there is one misstep and four you know really good to great movies to its name right yeah i mean i and i can't remember if we talked about this in the last episode or not my favorite horror franchise of all time is halloween and you cannot say the same for the first five halloween there are definitely more bad halloween movies than there are good right and scream just not the you know uh scream really is um and I, i you know it it yeah, yeah, it's it it's maintained a standard of quality, and I think that one of the things that helps with Scream Four is actually that that wait between sequels, right? Because it actually gave the filmmaker something new to say. Like the yeah. the the franchise had entered the pop culture lexicon in a more permanent way, and calcified a little bit, and also it sort of gave the characters some time to grow and change, um, and. It, that's something we're getting a lot more of now but I feel like Scream 4 looking back was sort of the forerunner of the wave of sort of uh, nostalgia sequels you know and soft reboots that we're seeing now 
right? Um, where they do bring back the original cast, but like some time has passed and it's dealing with the fallout of those originals so long ago, which isn't something we got a lot of in American cinema. It's something you saw in like, um, I'm going to sound so pretentious, but this is fandom university, like in the Antoine Dwinell movies by Truffaut, you know, where he checks in with this kid, like from the age of 12 till he's in his thirties across five movies. Um, but doing it in an American way where it's like, no, like shit's going to happen. This isn't just about like, Oh, this is what it's like to be in France and be a boy. Uh, it's like, no, the, you know, the, you're going to see motherfuckers stabbed to death. Exactly. Like is there, we're going to keep your interest with more than the basics of human experience. <laughs> We're going to titillate you. Then uh, that's, I mean, that really should have been the, like the catchphrase of 1776. America, <laughs> we're going to titillate you. Uh, so Scream 4 uh, introduces Sydney's cousin's character. And so. Um, played by play, Emma Roberts. Yeah, played exceptionally well by Emma Roberts. Uh, in a text conversation, you said she was a quiet horror queen. She is, yeah, um, because she's done some really amazing work, but a lot of it has been in what I would call like quiet horror, like the Black Coat's daughter or I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. Like she hasn't blown up the way I feel like she should have, but some of that may be the roles that she's chosen or been cast in too, because like she's sort of, I mean, look, we're going to get into spoilers for the movie here if we're going to talk about her performance. Um, like, yeah, like because just, you for for clarification's sake, you know, we are going to talk about Scream Four, the plot, um, the what you know what happens, and also um, when we have our conversation with Gory Corey, we'll be talking about you know the, we'll be spoiling aspects of the Scream Five movie. So if you have not seen it or and don't want to be spoiled, be forewarned. Yeah, Emma Roberts, I'm looking at her filmmaker or her filmography right now. Um, and it's funny what she's most known for, like on our IMDb page is mostly comedies and stuff. But um, but she's turned in some, she was also in Screen Queens for a season. Uh, so like, I guess maybe I didn't know she was such a horror MVP. Maybe I'm showing my own age and lack of um, knowledge. Uh, but I was really delighted, one, that she's in the movie and two, that she has the part that she has. You uncultured swine. I am an uncultured swine. How could you not know about Scream Queens? <laughs> uh, that, um, that, I, I mean, speaking, speaking of Scream, like to just like digress a small bit, I remember thinking like that was going to be um, like, uh, like something like Scream Queens wouldn't exist without Scream, without the movie Scream. Yeah. And yeah, so, it's a direct descendant. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it leads into, um, like sort of reboot territory where you know it's uh a lot of the same like movements as the original scream uh and then it's a similar like who done it trying to figure out like, who ghostface is um or who they are right there's a new cast of kids and yeah it's like uh you know you've got and emma roberts characters you know is, is the new sydney or more or less and uh come to find out that she is the killer yeah and, she and uh rory culkin yeah uh rory who is um he heads up a uh like he's kind of like the randy of of this group of kids like him and a friend head up a like cinema club 
right. at, at their high school, uh, which is something that like something like that Sean and I would have done uh, back then uh, while we were in high school. As you know, uh, you know that's the just kind of a, obnoxious, pretentious assholes that we were. Like you know, like well, let, let us show you what real good movies are <laughs> right? at age fourteen. Yeah, and then showing them like you know, Bottle More Rocket. <laughs> Hey, Bottle Rocket's really good. I just no, it's great, it. but like at that, you know, to us now, it's like that's the that's the, the height pinna- of cinema. Yeah, the pinnacle of cinema. Uh, and her motivation is like she wants to be famous. Like she she feels like she's stuck in the shadow of Sydney Prescott. Like she can't uh, be anything because of who her cousin is. And so now she's going to be uh, she's going to be the Woodsboro survivor girl. You know, because her plan is to to kill her cousin, to kill Sydney, uh, frame her ex boyfriend. Um, there's even like uh, there's even like the same sort of uh, um, scene between Billy and Stu, where Billy stabs Stu as to not make it look suspicious. Like you know, like you know, cops show up, like oh, I'm a victim as well. Look at this wound I've got, uh, where she stabs Rory Culkin's character uh, and, in the heart. Oh yeah, well, like that was the plan, and she. She stabs she him subverts in the heart. It. She right. subverts it. And she's like, you know, like it's only cool, it's only good if there's one survivor. Um, so what's interesting is that this movie, like I said, it has so many of the same beats as the original scream, and yet it doesn't seem like redundant or or repetitive. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. So one of the the big complaints about the Force Awakens when it came out, which I think the Star Wars, you know, franchise post Disney is a good, you know, analogy. So I'll probably bring this up more than once. Um, the The big complaint a lot of people had with that movie when it came out was that it was so close in its mirroring of the beats from the original Star Wars. Um, and I think the reason people were upset with that was it didn't invert enough of those tropes or move beyond them. And I think that's what Scream Four manages to pull off is it not only is commenting on itself, but also flips it on its side in really interesting ways, which I I feel like The Force Awakens doesn't do. I think The Force Awakens is more a movie trying to reassure its audience, like, hey, look, we're making Star Wars again, and it's the way you remember it. Whereas Scream right. 4 is kind of doing that because it's like, hey, look, we're, we're good again, um, but also doing something new with it, which is actually what scream should be doing right like is keeping you guessing right. so yeah, it's, um, it's 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 giving you something that you're comfortable with but um it's like adding an adding something different to so that you're still interested in it right to to keep you from getting too comfortable right and uh so yes yeah, so scream for uh revitalizes the franchise um you know, it's well received, like maybe not as commercially well received as, 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 as its predecessors, but, you know, the, you know, the, the faith is back, uh, you know, is back, is back. Yes. With the IP. Uh, so much so that they greenlight an MTV series, which uh, I watched the first season of, I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, it's it ran for, Technically, I want to say like it's it's three seasons technically, but I want to say I want to say more like two and a half because the first two seasons are, you know, at least, uh, close to a dozen episodes each. 
while the third season it's it's moved to vh1 it's got a new cast and it's only six episodes long and i think the idea was to then do like an american horror story sort of thing where uh you might have similar actors similar actors but it becomes more of an anthology series which would have uh which uh you know we can and the reason yeah i, I watched part of the season is um at you know uh you know, because of Gory Corey, because of uh, some of her writing or because of some of their writing. And uh, and I, I found myself, I, I really enjoyed it. But so, yeah, so like, so the Scream sort of uh, brand is back uh, and, and doing well. Um, however, we still get a few more years, you know, another- uh, 10 years. Another decade or so before- another sequel which um 11 and, years i'm sorry yeah well, 11 oh I mean, yeah yeah close uh which and a lot of that has to do with the fact that west craven passed away in 2015 and yes. uh you know i guess people weren't sure if you know if there could be another screen movie without west craven at the helm you know because you know while he you know is i'd say he's probably well known most better known for you know the nightmare on elm street franchise like he is more he didn't direct every one of those movies no whereas he directed all the first four screen movies so his his you know his touch it's under his guidance the entire time and so you know his passing i think probably left the left the franchise in limbo as to whether or not they want to proceed um, but we got uh, a pair of filmmakers to uh, who made a movie called Ready or Not. Which is amazing, and you should all check out if you haven't seen it. Matt Bidinelli Open and Tyler Gillette, or Gillette, I don't, I, I, if I'm mispronouncing these names, I apologize, and please correct me. I'm not, you know, if I ever say anything um, that's incorrect, I want to be corrected. I'm not going to double down on being wrong like it's right. <laughs> Like a jackass. Petulant asshole. Um, and, you know, the reason that uh, that they wanted to do this movie is because, you know, Wes Craven was so influential in their own work. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think they did a really good job in, uh, in not only continuing the story, but also providing some closure as well as, you know, making a fantastic fucking slasher movie whodunit you know slasher whodunit film yeah um, yeah yeah so i mean let's go ahead and that's a good segue into our conversation we are sitting here with gory Corey. say hello introduce yourself as folks at home uh why we're talking to you about scream five uh, i'm gory Corey. i'm a teen horror blogger i'm 19 so i'm kind of in the age range of the characters in scream and I'm a horror blogger. I'm a Fangoria correspondent, and I run a horror podcast about teenagers with and horror movies. I mean, pretty much the wheelhouse, like you said, the wheelhouse of Scream. <laughs> um, so Scream Five comes out. So, I mean, you just that you're you're in you're in your teens. So the original Scream comes out before you're even born. Yeah, I think all three did. And so, like, what is your history with the movie, with the franchise? Well, Scream is my all-time favorite movie, but I actually didn't watch it first. I watched the MTV series Scream, 
when I was in like sixth or seventh grade and I loved it so much and each episode references like other horror movies and stuff so it made me really take an interest in horror and I wanted to watch Scream obviously because I loved the TV show so much so I did and it was amazing and it was like the greatest movie I'd ever seen and it's now my favorite movie of all time and so then I went through Scream and watched all the movies that they referenced and kind of jumped off from there into horror sixth or seventh grade what I mean I watched the first see I I watched the first season of the tv show with the you know preparation Mm -hmm. for for this arc for this course and uh it's pretty brutal it's good uh the kills are really good I was so (laughs) impressed by it when there's one um when the sheriff he's like tied up to a tree and they start to duct tape him his guts like into him and then they have to pull the duct tape off the tree and his guts just like yeah. fall out like not like, realizing so like they're just trying to like set him free yeah and, yeah, and they, he's disemboweled oh, that was so sad too that that series is a really good job of having really brutal deaths that are really really sad like really toying with the character's emotions which is one of the things i love about it so much no yeah and like they they explain and i love you know, not to get too far away from from the movie itself, but the TV show. What I loved about it is, uh, they really play with the format. Um, yeah. Like, as there's, um, I forget the the main character, but um, the the, Emma. the love interest, or well, Emma's Emma's love interest after the fact. You know, who, mm-hmm. the new kid in town, the sheriff's son. Yeah. Uh, obviously, like he's in his mid twenties. There's no way like a 17 year old looks like that, <laughs> but I think they like kind of like lean into that. That sort of mm-hmm. like that trope that, yeah, we have like 26 year olds playing teenagers in these, you know, CW type shows. Yeah. Um, and you know, the Randy type character in the movie, um, talks Noah. about like, you know, yeah, this is like, this is Friday night lights. Yeah. You know, this isn't, you know, a 90 minute like slasher. Like you got to care about these people. If you're going to stretch it out, you got to care mm-hmm. about these characters, which like you said, I, I think they did a really good job of, of doing so. So, so you're, a, you're a preteen, you're a tween watching, yeah. uh, watching these, which um, and upon watching the first movie, you know, Sean and I like that, the original screen, that opening is so um, it's iconic and it's so unsettling. It's so good. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's, you know, your home is supposed to be the safest place you can be. And when that sort when that security is violated, it's so unnerving. And, you know, we were watching it and, and Sean said it was even more unsettling now as an adult than it was mm-hmm. back then. Yeah. Cause we were about the same age that you were watching the TV show when the first right. movie came out. Yeah. And I was like, man, we were like 13 years old when this came out. <laughs> It upset me more, yeah, as a 38-year-old man than it did as a 13-year-old boy <laughs> for some reason. I don't, I, I can't put my finger on why. Maybe just because I have more value for human life as an adult. I don't know. <laughs> I will say when I first watched it, I was really, like, I, I've always been really terrified of that, that kind of stuff. And I've always thought about that stuff happening, like, every time I was home alone. So that really validated my fears. I was like, yeah. It, it could definitely happen. Um, mm-hmm. so well, this- let me... Oh, go sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead. I just had a spontaneous question. So what was your family's like, um, I, I'm assuming it was pretty permissive if you were watching Scream you know, <laughs> at junior high age. Like I, you know, like, so were you pretty, was that sort of your induction to horror period? Or did you kind of grow up, you know, watching horror movies with your family, mm-hmm. like even when you were smaller? 
Well, my mom really, like, when she was a kid, she grew up on, like, the Munsters and the Adams Family. So she really wanted me to watch those, and I loved them. And uh, I also grew up on, like, like kids horror, like Scooby-Doo and Courage the Cowardly Dog and, like, pretty much anything on Cartoon Network. Uh, so I really... But my first, like, really scary horror movie, I guess, was Carrie, which I watched in fifth grade. So, like, just a little before I started watching Scream. But my mom was actually, my parents were pretty strict about what I was and wasn't allowed to watch, but I did have the internet so I could kind of find whatever. Right. (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, we, like, we're of the generation um, that we kind of had to sneak a video, a VHS, like, Mm -hmm. case at the Blockbuster (laughs) in between, like, you know, uh, you know, Land Before Time and (laughs) One and Two. Um, But yeah, so... You know, Scream comes out uh, mid '90s, and it's now 2021. You know, what what do you think is the reason behind this franchise being so enduring? And and not only that, but um, kind of it it re it re it's reinventing itself for a new generation. Like you say, you're in the generation of the current cast. You know, like while they do have the legacy characters of of Sydney and Gale and, and Dewey, rest in peace, ultimate rips. Spoiler alerts, by the way, we're like we're spoiling movies here in this one. Um, uh, you know, why do you think this, you know, it continues to 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 speak to audience members, regardless of generation? Well, I think the film itself is so genius just because it is so self-aware. And I think a lot of people can really appreciate that because even if you're not like a huge horror fan, you can understand the tropes pretty easily. And it's really funny. And I think that it's kind of timeless in that, in that way. And I also think that the way that they keep reinventing it for a new audience is something that not a lot of franchises do or are able to do. Um, Like Halloween doesn't really seem like it's been reinvented for Gen Z at all, but scream definitely felt more catered to towards that and i also just think like there really hasn't been a bad scream movie because wes craven worked so hard to make sure those movies were good and i mean of course everyone that worked on them did and i think we also get to stick with the characters for so much longer than we do with most franchises like friday the 13th we don't really get to stick with that many people nightmare on elm street kind of we stick with Lori and Halloween a little bit, but having those three characters and being able to watch them grow over like decades was I think really special. That's a really good point. I hadn't hadn't considered that either. I mean, like (laughs) you think of like Halloween, like that the strongest narrative thread throughout the entire series is Lori is like Lori's arc. And 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 Lori's not there the whole time, but we, we know our, our three characters are always going to be there. Well, Maybe not Scream Six, but. <laughs> yeah. which I mean, like now, I mean now that I um, because yeah, in the first episode of this arc, I I argued that Dewey should have died at the end of the second one, like we thought he had, you know, and mm-hmm. but I mean now that, you know, that didn't happen obviously, and now that we have what happened in five, you know, this this meant a lot more now. Yeah, and I think this was like the way he was supposed to go, like he was supposed to go out a hero, and he did. No, for sure. Like yeah, he. Um, they definitely like deputy do feed him up a little too much mm. in the in the subsequent movies, but um, yeah, yeah, he uh, and it was, I mean, and I love the line that um, the killer tells him, like it's you know, it's been an honor. Yeah, um, I was oh, I cried so hard. <laughs> oh, and uh, at the end, whenever um, the killers are revealed, and um, 
what's his name jack mcquade the jack quaid jack quaid, jack quaid. yeah uh is like dewey called it immediately like yeah. as yeah. soon as we mm-hmm. met him yeah yeah i mean i yeah it's what's crazy is and that's like that's what i really enjoyed about you know the first one what makes it really great one of, or like one of the main things that makes it really great is that it's a really well done who done it yeah like you're not sure like there are so many red herrings and there's so many like you know uh like fake outs like you know could it be the boyfriend maybe it could mm-hmm. be the principal like he's getting like awfully yeah. aggressive with these students um uh, you know maybe it's the father <laughs> he's unaccounted for and and they do that again with with scream five you know the mom doesn't show up at all the mom is like a complete red herring like mm-hmm. you know there's a one line which is like she's stuck at a conference in london and so the whole time that's in the back of the audience member's mind like it's probably has something to do with yeah. the mom and then she doesn't show up at all mm-hmm. um that's another thing I think is so timeless about them is like they're some of the best who done it's we have, especially for horror. It's yeah. so hard to guess who Ghostface is gonna be. And that that allows the franchise to stay fresh in a way that say mm-hmm. it's a lot harder for your average slasher to stay fresh because yeah, because you're it, you you know Michael, you know, you know Jason, Jason you know Freddie. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's part of what makes Lori's story to bring it back to her and Halloween hard to keep fresh too, is that she's the only one who continues yeah. forward. Like there's nobody else around her and mm-hmm. so much so that they even had to invent a character in this last <laughs> Halloween movies. Um, you yeah. know, the, they had just, to give us new ones or bring back old ones, you know, but right. Well, I'm thinking of the, the, the sheriff's deputy, she ends up in the hospital room with who like they invent a fake backstory about mm-hmm. like he was in love with her, you know, or, yeah. not fake backstory. It's a retcon. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and you're because, like, why didn't we hear about this before? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that is a testament to, first of all, having the same creative team largely intact for most mm-hmm. of the original series of films, I yeah. think really helps. Um, and also I think I would give, yeah, I, you know, you you justly gave Wes Craven props early. I would also give Kevin Williamson Kevin a lot of Williamson. Pro- yeah. I think his his ability to do character over time, you know, I mean, all of his TV shows, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I grew up, we grew up watching Dawson's Creek, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's a testament to his ability to sort of see characters through time. Um, yeah. And honest, I mean, I will say I did kind of miss his voice a little bit. I thought that the, the writers did a pretty good job of better than Aaron Kruger did in Scream 3 of aping the Kevin Williamson voice, but I still yeah. did miss, it wasn't quite as sharp as his stuff um, this time, but yeah, it was about as good as it could do. I would have loved for him to have written this one, but I do think it was really good. And he, from what I understand, had like a, a lot of say. So that was so good. Yeah. He's yeah, a, yeah. He was an executive producer on it. So. Yeah definitely had definitely um had some of his seasoning for sure mm-hmm. uh so so the the first three movies they metatextualize the medium you know horror movies in the first one and then sequels in the second one obviously and then, then the trilogies for the third one uh then so parts four and five they lean more heavily into social commentary you know four um examines like fame seeking and sort of this idea um that you know like I read a, a article and it said like, you know, a lot of kids, a majority of kids, like, like they want to grow up to be like YouTubers. Like they think that's like a viable, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, they, like content creation is like, you know, like, I, like, you know, when I, when I was growing up, like, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. Like now, like, I want to be a content creator <laughs> and sort of like that, um, that sort of fame seeking that comes with that, you know, with, with, especially with social media. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then the newest movie acknowledges, um, which um, which is the word that Nev Campbell uses in an interview. She says it doesn't really um, like clap back or it doesn't really um, like uh, glorify toxic fandom, but it just acknowledges it. Mm-hmm. So uh, five acknowledges toxic fandom that's prevalent within so many intellectual properties. Uh, like, what do you like about that pivot? Between, um, there's, there's still definitely like some some nods to the medium and tropes and all that. But, you know, uh, what do you like about how like they're sort of um, and this is brought up in the new one. They're sort of elevating the the, the, the discourse with the movies. Um, well, I think that's another one of the things that keeps Scream uh, as being such a timeless franchise is because of its social commentary. Like even in the in the original three, like three, we get a lot of social commentary about Hollywood and the way that women Absolutely. are treated. But um, I, I really, really like that. And that's one of my favorite things about the horror genre is its social commentary. And I think it does, Scream does it so well and in such a hilarious way. Like when, when they were talking about how they met over Reddit, I was like, this is so <laughs> funny. It's so camp. And it, yeah. but it's like exactly what would happen in that universe, um, which is just so great. And I think it does such a good job of explaining and showcasing like why those things are, how, how like things that can be good can turn bad very quickly. Like, it's fine if you want to be a content creator, but if you, you know, get too obsessed with the fame to a point where you become a murderer, maybe that's not great. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, yeah, and, I, you know, Sean and I are both Star Wars fans, and Star Wars Twitter <laughs> is mm-hmm. Star Wars Twitter is, like, the worst place you could be. <laughs> it's, uh, like, yeah, the most Eisley Cantina has nothing on Star Wars Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, that's a, and I, I did want to ask what you guys thought about this because Sergio and I haven't had a chance to really talk about the movie, but you know there is a pretty overt reference to um, oh, Ryan Johnson in mm-hmm. the movie because they refer to the last stab movie being directed by the Knives Out guy, mm-hmm. and they and, talk about um, a lot of like just a lot of his stuff, and they talk about Star Wars and everything. Yeah, right. And so the the fact that the Randy you know, uh, his niece, uh, whose name I can't remember at the moment. So I apologize. Mindy, uh, Mindy, Mindy, thank you. That Mindy brings that up and they talk shit about it, but then also sort of double back to it. I'm wondering like, does, and I, I haven't decided for myself, but I, I I'm having trouble seeing the consistent thematic through line between like the shit talk. I guess it's the line between like, like by putting Ryan Johnson in the hot seat, it seems like they're sort of siding with toxic fan culture and then they kind of double back on that at the end or am i misreading that or misunderstanding that i wanted to get you guys both of your takes on that because it's something i've kind of been chewing on since i saw it for me i thought it was i think they're allowing both sides to be heard you know and and not in that um sort of like bullshit joe rogan like i'm just asking questions sort of way but (laughs) i mean uh you know, it's disingenuous to, um, to, to, uh, like to argue something down without even letting like that argument, like bring up itself without even, even as like, as, as weak as it may be. And so they, you bring up the idea, like the, the toxic fandom, you know, with the shit talking and, you know, like there's like a, a pair of like YouTube vloggers that are talking about stab eight and how terrible it is, uh, <laughs> And so, you know, like, I guess it's just acknowledging that it exists. Like, yeah, it's out there. Like, there are people who do think like this. There are people who, you know, actively spend time uh, uh, 
hating something when you know like you know hating something they profess to love yeah yeah Yeah. and spending their energy like you know to to hate something rather than saying like yeah that wasn't for me like i'm gonna move on to something that i do like (laughs) what did you think Corey? i think uh i think it was just a way of pointing out first of all like what universe we in we were in because we all laughed at that we were like yeah we watched those movies but also i think it wasn't necessarily in support of the toxic fandom it was more showcasing casing it like you said like they mentioned elevated horror a lot and a lot of the characters use that term which obviously is not a term that like is good that any horror fans (laughs) enjoy like those directors are not elevated horror fans like they're so they were obviously putting that in there and i don't think by having like good characters use that term it's them necessarily supporting it i think it's just them bringing up that issue so that's how I interpreted the Ryan Johnson stuff was like them bringing it up. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, so, you know, so we've talked about like the fame seeking. We've talked about like toxic fandom. Are there any other aspects of our society that you think are ripe to get um, examined in the Screamiverse? Oh, wow. Um, I think there's a lot. I think there's definitely, I mean, they, they covered this a little bit, but there's this really horrible pipeline especially that i'm seeing with a lot of like kids my age where uh kids especially really young kids will get onto the internet too early and they'll be kind of like in indoctrinated into these like horrible groups and like horrible parts of reddit and stuff where they're really misogynistic and homophobic and racist and it's it's becoming a really really bad thing because it's like a pipeline to like joe rogan and alex jones and it's jordan and peterson it, yeah and it Oof. sounds kind of silly Oof. but it's like the, these kids are like 14 and so they don't know the difference and they take it really seriously and they don't understand kind of like how harmful it can be and so i think that's like a really big a really big issue right now that they could certainly touch on and there's so many. I mean, there's just a lack of critical thinking in general and the amount of like political discourse I'm sure they could get into and all that kind of stuff. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, um, yeah. When I was 14, like whatever I believed was the last thing I heard, you know, like I, mm-hmm, I didn't know, exactly. any, I didn't know, I didn't know yeah. any better. Like I, I, I can try to lie to you and say that like, ah, oh, no, I was a good kid. Like, no, like, we're all stupid at that age. No. Really know yeah. But difference. like, imagine if you'd had the internet and you had like all of these grown men, telling you like women are horrible and you like you should treat them horribly and women aren't people and all this stuff no, or, yeah, like, exactly yeah and um, so it's it's almost becoming like dangerous because they just kind of get down these rabbit holes and it's like really hard to get out of that and yeah especially with the internet too like there's so much cyberbullying that goes on because of that that can be life-threatening so yeah and that's and that's something that uh like someone like Sean or myself, um, that we, you know, we can try to understand as much as possible, but there's really no way, like, you know, I, you know, I don't have to like really worry about like walking from the, you know, from the grocery store at night to my car. Yeah. I, I, you know, unless I Mm -hmm. see something like super sketch, (laughs) I'm not even giving it a second thought Yeah. when that is like, that is a danger that is prevalent to like 50% of our society. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, so like, I mean, I, it's, it's something that could definitely be, definitely be addressed, you know, and, and as, you know, as elders, you know, or Sean and myself, like, you know, elder elders, we, um, you know, it's our, like, it's our job to, you know, to sort of help 
you know, kids along the way. Like I, um, like I have a, a, a 10 year old daughter who's super in anime. She's total weeb. Aww. And uh, yeah, she's, she's awesome. She's the best. And so, um, uh, I was driving her, I was dropping her off at school and I saw, you know, and she's tiny, she's 10, you know, like, I don't know how big kids are anymore, but she's so tiny. Uh, and I saw like an even smaller kid with a MHA hoodie. And I was like, Hey, that little kid likes MHA too. She's like, Oh yeah. She's like, you know, seven or whatever she is. And I was like, well, you know, she's like, yeah, she, she said something like, you know, I think she just started watching it. I was like, well, you know, we all started at some yeah. point, you know, we all get, you know, fresh to this. So, you know, remember that whenever you meet someone who's starting off, that's an opportunity to make a new friend and to kind of yeah. guide them along the way. You know, that's, that was like, you know, my way of sort of like trying to avert the like, you know, sort of snooty, like obnoxious mm-hmm. gatekeeping. 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 Yeah. <laughs> gatekeeping at 10. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, um, but yeah. So uh, going back to scream five, you know, Sean and I were discussing the choice of having Dewey and Gail be divorced in this new movie mm-hmm. and how it felt more emotionally honest for some reason. And the more I thought about it, uh, and I want to get your opinion on this, you know, is, do you think it's possible that Dewey and Gail trauma bonded over, you know, what happened to them in the previous movies and that, you know, their relationship while based on, you know, mutual respect and, and some kind of love, you know, maybe not the, like the romantic love, um, you know, was based on something that, you know, um, that, you know, that wasn't um, sustainable. I think, Definitely. I definitely think that. But I also think like they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like they simply just did not work out because obviously Gail is not a person that can live in a small town. And Dewey's not a person that can live in a city. And while I think they really did love each other and they tried their best, it just wasn't going to work out, unfortunately. Um, But I do think a lot of their relationship is obviously based on David Arquette and Courtney Cox's real relationship. And from what I understand, at least from what she said about their divorce is that David Arquette didn't really want to like grow with her or change as much as she Mm -hmm. wanted to. And that was kind of like a big issue for them, which seems like it was very similar with the fiction, with With their characters. characters. So I think they put a lot of that into there. And that's another reason why it feels so real because like, this is their actual situation pretty much. And they still clearly love each other and, you know, really love, have like a, a lot of respect for each other, but I just don't think like it worked out that way and that's okay. That makes it even more poignant. Yeah. That's no, I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, had no idea about that. Well, you know, it, you know, the character, obviously like Gail, like, you know, she gets this job opportunity in New York, which I mean, she's always been a very like driven, you know, ambitious, um, ambitious uh, yeah. person. And, and yeah. And, and, and Dewey sort of seemed like he, like, he'd be fine just sort of like, you know, spending the rest of his life in Westboro and just, you know, mm-hmm. retiring quietly. And, and so, yeah, it just, it felt more emotionally honest, um, in a lot of ways and especially considering like i told sean i was like man roll of the dice like they had a 50 50 shot anyway so (laughs) statistically yeah well and i i mean i think it is a natural outgrowth of where they were in scream four as well because i mean she is so bored and so stuck for the first half of that movie Um, and she would never like stay in that situation right like that's just not her character right um yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, because we're talking about requels, I was sort of putting it up against The Force Awakens, um, which it kind of does make some nods to with Dewey sort of being the Han Solo uh, stand-in. Um, 
and why that separation bothered me so much, the Han and Leia one, but the Dewey and Gale one felt really better or, or honest in a way that, and maybe because I mean, we've gotten to check in with them so often. Yeah. They also just weren't as like uncomfortable around each other. Like you could tell that they still really loved each other and were still really good friends and they just kind of grew apart. And I really liked that about their characters. Cause it was like very, it just felt really real, felt very yeah. correct. Yeah, there was like no like, uh, there like weren't really hurt feelings or anything. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's they sort like of they both apart. just recognize that it just didn't work out, and it pained them. But you know, they also didn't want to continue in something that would continue to harm them. So yeah, and I, I did love that line where Courtney Cox basically says something to the killers along the lines of like, "You killed my best friend." Yeah, and that that was heartbreaking. It was yeah. so sad. Yeah, that uh, I, yeah. when she said that, I was like, "Well, like she doesn't say like you know." Like, you know, my, my husband, -husband. Or, or like my ex-husband yeah. or the love of my life. Like she said best friend, which like, yeah, really like, which like he twisted was. the metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and maybe that's what it is. This franchise has taken real care to maintain the integrity of its characters or it's done its best, you know, with some missteps, I would argue. Um, but but better than most franchises, including Star Wars, apparently yeah. <laughs> have done um, that. It felt so organic and correct. Uh, you know, it was sad to see, but also like not unexpected. Mm -hmm. um, like when I realized like, oh, they're not because I didn't know a whole lot about the movie going in. I, I, I tried not to know too much. Um, and, you know, it was like, oh, OK, but yeah. And it also gives him a great dramatic impetus to do what he's doing in the movie yeah um, and it makes his death so much more heartbreaking <laughs> yeah yeah uh, well it, it reminds me sylvester stallone when uh rocky balboa came out you know talia shire's not in the movie and she's in the first five rocky movies yeah. and um she was sort of upset about it but you know she said once she saw the movie she understood because like without her sort of being out of the picture he has no like that the, there's, there's no, no like, engine like guiding force yeah yeah, um, because she looms large over that for him. Um, so yeah, yeah, I I really like that choice and good on the filmmakers for 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 pulling it off pretty beautifully. I think. Yeah, which is also something we don't get a lot of in um, franchise horror is really emotionally um, affecting moments, especially when it's made by like not the original creators too. Yeah. Yeah, like four sequels in, mm -hmm. you know, the original uh, director and writer, you know, aren't in those roles anymore. Uh, yeah, like it's it's kind of a fucking miracle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you had brought up um, you your in like uh, your introduction to the Scream franchise was through the TV show, and you've yeah. you've written a piece about the Audrey character. And how that um, that spoke to you in in terms of her in her sexuality, you know the the show starts off with um, like there's a viral video and she, uh, the I don't want to say that she's outed because throughout the at least the first season, she um, she dismisses the lesbian label. I mean, and, yeah. And so she's, she's pretty much outed to the school, but it's one of those things where like it kind of blows over, but still everyone kind of knows, right? Yeah, she's 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 um, the videos of her making out with another uh, female, uh, another teenager, female teenager from another school. Um, so and you wrote about how like 
like you said, it kind of just blows over. Like it's kind of a big deal for a while, sort of like in that high school sort of thing. Like, you know, you know, the latest thing that happens is what everyone's talking about for until the next big thing that happens. And then everyone talks about that. And which just, is a murder. Yeah. Which is yeah a, a crime, a murder spree. Um, you know, Mindy, uh, who plays uh, Randy's niece's character, you know, at one point during the third act party scene, she starts, she makes a mention. She's like, oh, maybe I'll just hook up with, uh, I forget the girl's name. And then in the next scene, they're, they're making out. And it's just treated like just as commonplace as the makeout scene that her brother had with his girlfriend, you know, mm -hmm. a couple of minutes earlier, you know, uh, you know, uh, how important is like representation in horror to you? And how has this genre succeeded? And also, how's it failed? I think it's so important. And I think that was a great scene because especially like within my generation, like that is pretty normal. And so mm -hmm. that would be treated the same way. Like that was exactly how that would have played out. Um, I think definitely in the Scream TV series, it was such a bigger deal for Audrey to be by because it was like 2015, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that was, doesn't really seem like that long ago, but it really, there was a very different stigma around it than there is today, um, especially about being bi because there's, for some reason, people seem to be more biphobic than they are homophobic, depending on the person. But um, I think it's, I think it's incredibly important. And I think horror, has long been a, a genre that is like the queer, I think horror is the queerest genre and it always has been for queer people. But I think it also has a very interesting history with it because while it has included queer characters since like pretty much the beginning of time, it's also punished them a lot for being queer. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like a give and take situation. Like a lot of monsters, especially vampires, like vampires have always been a metaphor for being gay. And while it's not maybe a great metaphor because it suggests that they're, you know, killing people or dead creatures sin yeah. yeah sinners but it really has evolved nowadays to be kind of like an empowering thing um so it's i think at least now people are taking a lot of the roots of queer horror and making it empowering and making it you know much more acceptable which i really enjoy and i think horror is always going to be one of the first genres to have that kind of representation because horror deals so heavily with social issues and is able to kind of put less accepted things uh in the genre and in its storylines so i think horror has always been able to do that and especially like you can watch horror movies from like the 60s or 50s and find queer characters as long as you just know what movies to look for like daughters of darkness i was shocked that there was like a lesbian vampire movie where they weren't you know i mean they were villains but they were like having fun and you kind of rooted for them so it, I think horror is really one of the best places for that kind of representation. But and even if it isn't um, overt, like the, it's definitely coded mm -hmm. in many yeah. different movies. Oh yeah, I mean uh, even Scream, Stu and Billy. No, yeah, that's. I mean, like Sean and I grew up best friends. Like we've been best friends since we were. That's so fourteen. Cool. Yeah, like, we, yeah, like since like wow. uh, like we rode the bus together to start ninth grade off, Aww. and that's how we met. Um, yeah, I know. Like, it's yeah. amazing. And, uh, but as much as I love this guy, like, I'm not going to go on a fucking murder spree with him <laughs> because, like, you I know, would hope not. Yeah. Uh, as, so, yeah, there's definitely um, some sort of other, like, feelings going on in that dynamic, mm -hmm. um, especially on Stu's end. I mean, Billy's just, like, like using him as a, yeah, as a tool. I don't think Billy really likes anyone, but I think Stu definitely was in love with Billy. And I think that's very clear to see. And, even Nev Campbell came out and like suggested that in a recent interview. So I, 
that hadn't occurred to me um because in our last episode we were talking about why does Stu go along with this and that that's such a no duh it's one of those things that after the fact it's like yeah of course yeah uh, it makes me feel kind of yeah. dumb for not considering yeah we're thinking like oh he's kind of just a sociopath like he's just like along for the ride like no he's in fucking he's in love with billy he loves yeah. billy and i think that's another one of those things where like i recognize that pretty quickly because i think all characters like Every time I see a queer character, I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> you guys obviously saw that in the 90s. So it would have been a, such a different time. And I'm sure you didn't, wouldn't have thought about that. Well, yeah. And there's a couple of young straight boys and his girlfriend in that movie is Rose McGowan, who's yeah. absolutely beautiful. So it's just like, what? Yeah, but like, he doesn't he doesn't seem to really like her. No, he's, he's like actively no. like 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 a mean. big brother, like sort of like relationship yeah. to her, like just kind of like ribbing her all the time. And mm-hmm. like uh, more so than Dewey yeah yeah that's yeah. a good point yeah i, I like, feel yeah, like dewey's like really like dewey's like really kind and sweet to her and she's like annoyed by him mm-hmm. um but yeah but Stu's just like kind of like a, like a brat. yeah that's yeah so yeah Stu's definitely in love with billy yeah that's, that's that makes his character even more interesting um it makes it really sad that that too well you know because you wonder if he'd been like emotionally manipulated by him a lot in that way because maybe if billy had picked up on that yeah i would i would not mind getting a bit more about that history like that is that is sort of the i'm not a huge fan of the the prequel especially the horror prequel uh, Mm -hmm. but like that is an area that i would love to see a bit more explored uh, especially since now the franchise seems to be leaning into billy's lineage more than sydney's Mm -hmm. um with this latest installment i thought that was really interesting i really i really liked how they were able to bring him back and i also really thought they were going to bring Stu back in some way because because wes <laughs> wanted Stu to come back in the third one i believe yep so i think we'll probably be seeing more from him hopefully we'll get to see more matthew lillard because he's the best um and i think it would be really cool if we could see his backstory there yeah yeah 100 so and i guess that kind of leads into the question about the future for the franchise like kind of and we've kind of ta- touched on it a little bit with um the social commentary and everything but i guess as far as moving forward like yeah aside from maybe <clears throat> getting a bit more about stew like where like do you do you see sydney and gail playing a part in this franchise anymore do you effectively feel like that torch is passed and now they can move on um you know where where do you kind of see it going if you had to guess well, I know Nev said that she would do another movie if she liked the script, but I don't really see her playing as big of a role. I definitely think this is going to be sort of like a Star Wars thing where we see them maybe for, you know, two or three scenes, which mm-hmm. would be great because I feel like that's the perfect amount for them because Cindy and Gail have been through enough and they <laughs> don't need to go through any more <laughs> they, of this. Yeah, they need some peace. They deserve some peace. Yeah, but yes. they could they could certainly be almost like a Randy character where they're giving them like the rules and the guidelines mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Um, I really hope they take this to college. I think it would be really cool to lean into like the academic horror subgenre. And um, I don't know, it would be kind of a cool reference to Scream 2 if they if they brought it there. But I want to see the Scream TV series characters come in if possible. I want to see Kirby back. I want to see Stu back. That's those are my things yeah well I, uh, oh go ahead well, i was gonna say what going back to the tv show you know it's it was three seasons long the third season um, is unrelated to yeah the it's like first it's like two. and like going into it i thought that um 
that's how it was for each season. I didn't realize that the, the second season was a continuation of the story. Yeah. Of first. I thought each season was, it's like kind of like American horror story mm-hmm. and like, um, like they're same character or same actors, but they're playing different characters as an anthology series. Like, what do you think? Do you think it'd be um, the franchise would benefit from doing something along those lines with new characters, every movie, or do you think the, the power of, or, uh, or the allure of the franchise is that, we get to revisit these characters like you mentioned before. I think the fun is revisiting the characters and maybe that's just me because I really enjoy, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I think that's one of the things that makes the MCU what it is, is because we care so much about those characters and we've watched them for so many years. But, um, and I think that's also like the fun of Scream. Like we have Friday the 13th and I'm sure they'll be making more of them at some point. So that kind of thing is like, we have plenty of franchises that don't necessarily follow the same characters, but I do think Scream one of the things that makes Scream so special is that we get to stick with them. Mm-hmm. You got anything else, John? Like, I I mean, I came away from this interview um, as a, a changed man. Like, for me, <laughs> Stu being in love with Billy is canon. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. you can't convince me otherwise. Now. You can't it's unring so, that bell. It's yeah. like, if you if you think about that and you go back and watch it, you're like, oh, it all adds up. Yeah. Like, he's in love with him. That's why he agreed mm-hmm. to do that. I mean, because you... You know, you have, I mean, what's, so what's crazy about the fourth one, the fourth, uh, it kind of mirrors um, uh, Timothy Oliphant's character in the second one. Like they just, totally. they're, they want that fame. They want that recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, all of the killers, like love in one way or another is, uh, is a, like, is a guiding sort of like motivation, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Billy like like feeling like his uh mother rejected him like losing that love is you know what motivated him you know Stu being in love with Billy is why he helped him you know Billy's mom coming back in the second one you know and like losing her son is what motivates her in the third you know uh I can't remember the character's name but Roman Scott Roman Scott Foley's character you know having his mother reject him uh is the motivation so yeah it just makes more sense that um that Stu's in love with him so like i said i I, i'm a i'm a changed man i I feel that that's canon for me so thank you Corey, so much for joining us like this has been fantastic um when we when sean and i uh decided to open up uh this new semester with uh with scream I was like, I know exactly the person I want to ask to be on this. <laughs> Thank <true>. you. <laughs> um, how, how can people find you? How can people support you? Um, you can find my blog on gorycory.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at gorycorehorror and on Instagram at gorycory underscore gorycory underscore. And my podcast is The Scream Teens on the Anatomy of a Scream pod network. Awesome. Well, thank you, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Of course. And that about wraps up our episode. Once again, we want to uh, thank Corey Corey for that awesome conversation. Fun conversation about scary movies. And I've we've said this multiple times after each interview, it seems like. But that was the goal of this podcast is to um, have these conversations between the two of us and then invite other people who, like I said, think like us and, and love um, the, the material like us. Uh, to have to join those conversations um, because like I said it's it's you know it's it's fun when you're able to uh, 
when you're able to talk about the things that you really love and care about and can like nerd and geek out over at uh at a like with the higher discourse rather than oh that was a really like i like whenever but ghostface stabs that motherfucker in the cheek <laughs> stabs <laughs> I mean, him we do the like cheek. it yeah we do like the stab i love the, the shit out of like the uh, out of a grizzly horror kill but we also love um critical thinking applied to uh especially to properties that that really reward critical thinking like screen no, yeah, and that's exactly why we um, why we decided to do a an arc, a course, a module, a curriculum on Scream, because uh, it, be, it it's deconstructionist nature really lends itself to like what we do here at Phantom University. Um, my my last question before we sign off: uh, Do you think Scream is the best horror franchise? I mean, we got five movies, five movies in. Like I said, uh, we both you know are not fans of the third but then we've got you know four movies that range from really good to great right which you, you can't say that about and like almost any horror like you know we're both we both love halloween we've done a halloween arc you know one and two are great three is um bizarre bizarre is good for it. <laughs> uh four and five are you know marginal you know, definitely like, you know, average. Uh, Five is worse than four, but yeah, they're kind of of a piece. Yeah. Uh, six isn't very good. <laughs> and then, no. I mean, like the, then H2O, H2O kind of like it comes, it's a, I'd say it's a nice little bump. Yeah. So, I mean, all, all that to say is like, it's wildly inconsistent. <laughs> uh, yeah. Whereas a scream, like, you know, uh, uh, in our opinion, one misstep aside, like it, it remains like a, like you could watch each one of those movies and be entertained and have a great time. So is it, I mean, would based on that merit, would you consider it the best horror franchise or would you, uh, would you consider it? I mean, see, when you think horror franchises, you think like the big, the big guns, you think you're Michael Myers, you think you're, you're Jason Freddy. Voorhees. Yeah. Um, Scream in my opinion. I mean, that, that opening scene though, scream yeah. has become an like ghostface is an iconic killer and in, in the horror universe and i i wonder so for us you know you mentioned those the, we mentioned the 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 big franchises of the 80s right right and those were iconic by the t- to us even before we started watching the movies we could identify those characters on site where scream is something that came along while we were growing up so we've right. sort of I guess, been on the ground floor with it as it's grown and changed as a cultural phenomenon. So I, I don't know that we have the same. Uh, Disconnect. Yeah, exactly. Um, distance. Yeah. Yeah. The critical distance necessary to name something iconic or not iconic, but I, I would say, oh, first you don't, of all, no, for, don't, first of all, you don't tell me what I can and can't name iconic. <laughs> first of all, you're right. You're right. Oh, you were saying, um, I misspoke is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> all right. So first of all, I I think you have a better grounding in horror than I do. As much as I love the Halloween movies, I've only ever seen the first um, uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and the remake. And I have seen four or five of the Friday the 13th. So, and I haven't seen any of the Texas Chainsaw Massacres, which is probably an opening for a future arc. Um, but um, 
So I don't know that I'm qualified to say, but I would say just based on my knowledge of watching franchise horror films, yeah, Scream has it over all of them. Um, it's it's interesting because I don't like like you said, you know, like I said before, like I I have never really thought of it that way. Like it was easy for me to forget about Scream for a long time until we started till the new movie came along and we started doing this arc. Like I always thought fondly of the first two movies, but I hadn't revisited them very frequently uh, right. the way I have with the Halloween movies or anything. Um, so it's, but I also feel like you know, uh, I spend a lot of time on Twitter and horror Twitter, surprising no one because I published a horror novel, um, you know, and, and they like, especially younger fans, um, you know, people, you know, around Gory Corey's age, like who did grow up with this franchise already being established. I think that they like it was their nightmare on Elm street or Friday the 13th. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think the, for, you know, and something that I, I meant to, uh, talk about there is I think for a lot of people starting with our generation but definitely in the generations that you know have come up uh since that was their gateway drug with Scream uh, you know and uh, I think Gory Corey put it perfectly about like watching Scream and then watching all the movies that it nodded to or alluded to and like right. like it so I think that and for us by the time I saw Scream I had already seen you know, all the existing Halloween movies, you know, I'd already seen, you know, a bunch of Friday the 13th. So um, it wasn't an intro to me so much as it was like a clever send up of something I already sort of recognized. Right. Um, Although the older I get, the more I appreciate it because I see how skillfully it's doing what it's doing um, because it's more than just a send up, right? It's also like a really good slasher. Yeah. So uh, that's a really long way of saying, like, I think it might be the best horror franchise. <laughs> that's all like, you had to say. That's all you had to say. Um, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm going to have to agree, I think. And I wouldn't have said that before we, you know, put in all the, the work to get to prep for this, for this arc, these couple of episodes. But I mean, it's, it's got um, characters. You, I mean, what? For me, what made Halloween so great is like, you know, you had like the Laurie Strode character who you care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and they try to replicate that with Jamie's character in, in four and five. And then, but when there aren't, when there isn't that character that you care about, uh, like the Halloween movies like fall short. Right. And so, I mean, it's got that, uh, you know, with, uh, with Sydney and with Gail and with Dewey. Uh, so it's got that narrative thread going through it. It's got an iconic uh, killer, even if the killer isn't the same person underneath the mask. You know, the visage of Ghostface right. you know, has transcended um, the movies. It also and, has a relatively consistent authorial voice, which most of these movies don't. Yeah, and because Wes Craven directed all the first four movies and because the fifth movie is directed by a pair who um, love Wes Craven's work and who's, you know, who in their, uh, his work informed their own, uh, that voice, like while it, you know, it isn't a mirror, while it isn't a mirror image, it's close enough to, to, to pass, you know, it passes the, the litmus test, so to speak. Right. While still doing what Scream should do, which is add new things to the conversation. Right. 
it's more than just an image, a, a good aping. It's also like a, a real growth. And it's and it's got awesome uh, death scenes. It's got grisly death scenes, especially in the new one, man. Like we didn't really discuss um, the death scenes in in Scream Five, but to me, they were they were more visceral, and and as a result, like more disturbing. Like you you get like like cons- like consistent like multiple stabbings as opposed to like that big like you know like you might get like you know one stab and then the chase and then Ghostface finally catches up with the person and then there's like that big sort of like you know come down with the with the with the knife right and that's the close up ends. on the knife yeah uh like we got you know Ghostface on top of someone stabbing them multiple times which yeah you know which is what you know we would what would what what would happen but the fact that they there's a conscious choice to sort of like you know to linger on that is what makes uh what makes those kill those those particular death scenes all the more um uh upsetting not, visceral ups, upsetting and effective yeah yeah i would i would agree with that um well you know it's also interesting like i was thinking about one thing about the early horror films in a lot of these franchises, or at least in a couple of them, like the original Hellraiser or Halloween, is that they are, those original films have a strong authorial voice and then the sequels don't. And I feel like Halloween as an individual film, as a feat of filmmaking, is probably better than Scream, but I feel like Scream, it's... A filmmaker who's not as worried about, I mean, I feel like the writing is doing the the self-conscious heavy lifting, whereas in Halloween, the filmmaking is doing, the. you know what I mean? Like the directing, the way it's shot, the way it looks, whereas Scream, I mean, it's definitely, it has a look, you know, but it, it's not, that's not what the film is about. The, it's about the writing. It's about the characters. It's about the conversations uh, and the emotion rather than about um the artist sort of, or at least the, the artist behind the camera, not the artist on the page. Um, and maybe, and maybe that's part of what has made these movies work so well is that they've had not only a very good directors working, but they also have had really good writing for the most part. And, um, that's something that I don't know we get to see enough of in horror really. Like, I feel like a lot of times, um, you know, horror movies um, don't always attract like, you know, the best screenwriters uh, or, or, or it's maybe a proving ground for writers who haven't got their chops yet. Whereas Scream, I mean, as much as I love Halloween, like the screen, the, the, the script has, it's a little creaky, right? It's got some, it's got some, you know, some cheese to it. Whereas like Scream feels very fully formed like uh, in terms of its voice and its structure and everything like it is a really really well written movie like even beyond the flashy fun dialogue exchanges it's just really well written um i don't know where i was going with all of that but uh, (laughs) i guess saying that um i think that might be why it's harder for me to like just blurt out and say like yes greatest franchise of all time even though like definitely most consistent you know um and and therefore by definition a franchise yes must be right like you know i haven't seen all of the hellraisers but i've seen enough bad ones to know that like it's already disqualified (laughs) right right um yeah so what do you think 
I mean, I, like I said, like, I, I think it, it checks all the boxes um, of what like a great horror franchise needs. Like, like, the characters you care about, an iconic killer, um, and, you know, great grisly death scenes, you know, consistently good movies and, and not just, you know, I'm a huge horror fan and I, you know, will, you know, recommend like there are move there are horror movies I would recommend to or other horror fans that I wouldn't to someone who doesn't really like horror because, you know, outside of um, like without this, that sort of like lens, like one would think like, that's not a good movie. And it's, and I think, and, and horror is is unique in that way and it's hard to explain um like i don't want to say like oh we just people who like horror movies just you know just like bad movies <laughs> but you know there's like even when uh when a horror movie is even when it's missing a lot of times even when it misses there's still there's still something that that connects if that makes sense Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do, I think, with, um, you know, like Gory Corey was talking about that, you know, it, it's, you know, horror has always been political. It's always been about social commentary. Uh, you know, you just dress it up, you know, with, uh, you know, with a, with a scary mask, with a butcher's knife, with a chainsaw, because I guess the, the that visual is so stark and like so obvious some of the nuance might be lost as a result but yes yeah i think uh i'd say it's probably probably the the best horror franchise for a number of reasons um like i said in terms of you know what makes a horror franchise iconic and also the consistency of its of the films in it you know we're five movies in and i'd say uh like i said for me uh for me, Scream 5 is actually my second favorite, which I have a long and sordid history of, of saying uh, of, of media, like recently released media is better than it actually is. Um, Sean will never let me live down uh, walking into someone's house and holding up a copy of Weezer's Green album and saying this is the greatest <laughs> Weezer album of all time. Um, but I think at, I was also 18 at the time. And so I think at, at 38, I can uh, be more, uh, more effectively judge, you know, what's good and what isn't. And I, I like, I'd say Scream 5 is my second favorite behind the original um, because it does everything a Scream movie is supposed to be, or supposed to do. Uh, also provides a lot of, like you, like you mentioned earlier, like a lot of emotional heft that horror movies don't usually, uh, like they aren't, um, it's not a move, uh, horror movies usually have. Right. And uh, at least slasher movies, rather, you know, yes. and also like just brutal, absolutely like brutal. Like I was like cackling with glee in the theater <laughs> at some of these death scenes because they're just like, like, you know, absolutely like gnarly. Like one of the killers gets fucking set on fire at the end. And it's awesome. And it's great because she gets uh, smashed with the bottle and she's like, what is this fucking hand sanitizer? And which makes sense, like both in. In, a, in the context of the world that we live in now that there would be a giant bottle of hand sanitizer right. you know at a party uh but also like you know it also like that one little line causes the the subsequent you know when she lands onto the lit uh stove to why she bursts into flames yeah, it's awesome and then she comes back fucking like half burned with a knife like screaming oh. 
So, so upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. I love it. Uh, well, yeah. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you again to Gory Corey. We had a fucking fantastic time talking with them about scream and horror in general. Again, they provided their, uh, you know, where you can find them on social media, the Twitters, the, in the Instagrams, uh, the podcast, all of that will be provided in our show notes in case you missed it. We'll be back in a couple of weeks talking about one Robert Fettuccini, uh, colloquially <laughs> known as Boba Fett. Uh, he's got a brand new show, uh, uh, which is pissing some people off. While delighting others. We're going to examine why that is. And, and we'll also have a special guest uh, to discuss it as well during, the, uh, during that module, during that curriculum, during that course. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Sergio. Mine is still Sean. Be kind to yourself and to others. Uh, Be kind to others and to yourself. You got it wrong. What is it? Be kind to yourself and others. Hey, be kind to yourself. It's okay. Fucking listen to yourself. (laughs) Take your own fucking advice, you stupid bitch. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm going to pass out.